Hello, everybody. I sure do miss y'all. But we're going to be reading uh, a book by Patricia Sanjin or St. John. In the, it, the name of it is A Tanglewood Secret, and we are reading it with permission of Moody Publishing Company. So we'll start with chapter one, and the name of it is About Ourselves. Philip and I lived with our Aunt Margaret in a white house on the side of a hill. It was a lovely home with a garden and an orchard of apple trees. And we slept in two attic bedrooms at the top of the house and our doors were open so we could shout across to each other. Philip's window looked out into the garden with the hills behind it and it made me feel very safe. My window looked out on the countryside of Worcestershire with, with the hills of Hefeshire in the distance where I had never been. My view made me long for adventure. I loved looking at the hills, and when Philip came to sit on my bed in the morning to listen to the first bird songs or watch the sunrise, we used to make up stories about strange animals that lived on them. Philip was a year and a half older than me, and I loved him more than anyone else on earth. He was a gentle and thoughtful, and once he made up his mind about something, he wouldn't change it. He had always been my friend and protector, and we were never apart except when we were at school. We were so different. Philip was a big, strong boy with a round face and blue eyes, and I was small and thin with dark, untidy hairs and a pointed chin. Philip was good and obedient, but I was naughty and hated to be told what to do. Aunt Margaret really loved Philip, but she shook her head sadly when she looked at me. (laughs) At the time of this story, we'd been living with Aunt Margaret for five years. We had forgotten about mom and dad, looked like. They lived and worked in India, and they had sailed away when I was just four years old. Mom was going to come home, but the war stopped her. I was worried that mom wouldn't like me if she did come back, as Aunt Margaret kept telling me how disappointed she would be with me because I was so bad. In her letters, mom sounded as if she loved me very much, but I thought that that must be because she didn't know what I was like. I was sure she would like Philip much better than me because he was a good boy, and grown-ups always liked him. Philip would like Mom, too, because Philip likes everybody. I wanted Philip all to myself, so I tried not to think about Mom coming home. I didn't want to share him with anyone, not even our mother. But Philip could remember her, and sometimes he talked to me about her. I remember one evening when I was about eight years old. I had been sent home without tea because I'd been naughty. I was laying on my bed, feeling hot and angry and very hungry, waiting for Philip to climb the stairs on his way to bed. As usual, he came straight into my room. He bent down and struggled to get something out of his sock. It was a sugar bun that looked rather squished, and it had lots of wool sticking to the sugar. Philip was very proud of it, as he had managed to get it into his sock under the table without Margaret seeing him. I ate it happily while Philip sat on my pillow and put his arm around me. What else did you have for tea, I asked him with my mouth full of bun. I'm afraid we had meatballs, he replied, but they were too squishy to put down my sock. They weren't very nice. You didn't miss much. It's very unkind of Aunt Margaret to send me to bed without my supper, I whined. If Mum were here, she wouldn't be unkind to me like that. No, she wouldn't, agreed Philip. But then, you see, you really, really 
were rude to Aunt Margaret, and you would never have been rude to Mom. How do you know? I might, I said. Oh, no, you definitely wouldn't, said Philip. There wouldn't be anything to be rude about. You're only rude when you're cross, and when you would be, were never cross at Mom. She was so happy and bright, and we were a bit naughty. She used to pick us up in her arms and tell us lovely stories, and then we'd forget all about being naughty. I wish you could remember her, Ruth. It was just I was just about to ask Philip more about Mum, but suddenly he hopped off my bed, dived across to his own room like a frightened rabbit. I heard Aunt Margaret's footsteps on the attic stairs. She went into Philip's room, and I heard her cross over to him and tuck him in. I heard him say, Good night, Auntie, in a breathless sort of voice. And then she came across and stood at the doorway of my room. Good night, Ruth, she said. If I had answered and said I was sorry, she would have come over and tucked me in too. But I hated saying sorry, so I pretended to be asleep and gave a very loud snore. Of course, she didn't believe me. I'm sorry you're still in such a naughty mood, she said in a cold voice, and then she turned around and went downstairs. Did you see you weren't, did she see that you weren't undressed? I whispered across to Philip. No, answered Philip. I pulled the bedclothes around my neck. Good night, Ruth. Good night, Phil, I answered. And then I turned over towards the window and stared out into the darkness. I kept thinking about what Philip had said about Mum. Mum would have come across and kissed me whether I was sorry or not. And then, of course, I would have really been sorry. Mum and I would have looked out at the stars together. She would have told me stories. And as I fell asleep, I could almost feel her arms around me. But in my dream, she ran away from me, and she and Philip went away together, and I was left behind. Chapter 2. Holiday Plans This story begins two years after the night I told you about in Chapter 1. I was nine and a half, and Philip was nearly eleven. On the first day of the Easter holidays, Philip came into my room in his pajamas at half past six in the morning. He curled up on the end of my bed with a notebook and a pencil in his hand. Together, we leaned our elbows on the windowsill to watch the birds and to make plans. Bird watching was our great holiday hab- hobby that holiday. We had a notebook in which we recorded each different kind of bird we saw and everything we noticed about it, its song, its nest, its habits. Philip had made the book himself, and it was very neat. He did all the writing, and I painted the eggs when we found them. Philip's work was exactly right, but my drawings were not very good. Philip longed for a camera so he could photograph the nest. If only I could take photos of them, he would say over and over again. I would be a great naturalist. My book might even get printed. But the cheapest camera in the shop window cost pounds, and our money box held exactly nine shillings and sixpence, even though we had been saving for weeks and weeks. We emptied the coins into the bed and counted them once again, just in case we'd made a mistake the time before. But we hadn't. Philip sighed deeply. I shall never, I shall nearly be going to boarding school by the time I get that camera, he said sadly. I wish we could earn more money, Ruth. We gazed out into the garden rather sadly, trying hard to think of a plan, but we couldn't think of anything we could do. It was April, and the first fruit trees were all covered with lacy white blossoms. Yellow primrose and daffodils shone brightly in the sun. 
All of a sudden, I felt Philip's body grow stiff beside me, and he half-dived out the window. Tree creeper on the plum, he he hissed. I leaned out beside him, and we watched a neat brown bird running up the plum tree, tapping the bark for insects. Philip was alert now and noticed everything he could about the little bird until he spread its wings and disappeared. Then out came his notebook, and for the next five minutes, Philip was busily writing down everything he could remember about the tree creeper. Then he looked up. Ruth, he said eagerly, we must get to the woods early today and have plenty of time. And Ruth, I was thinking in bed last night, we should have have a naturalist headquarters. We shall have a place where we keep pencils and paper, tins of food, and instead of always carrying them out with us, because we shall go out every day during the holidays. We must escape early before Aunt Margaret tells of jobs we ought to do. I nearly fell out of bed with excitement. Yes, we'll race through the holiday jobs and I'll be as good as gold so she'll hardly notice me and she won't watch me and when I've swept and dusted in the lounge, I'll just slip out before she thinks of anything else. If she asks where we're going, where we've been, we'll say we've been getting wood and we'll bring back some wood to make it true. But I don't see why we should have to work at all on our holidays. I know what I'll do. I'll dress quickly and go down now and and help Aunt Margaret with breakfast to make her think how good I'm being. I was out of bed in a flash, and ten minutes later, I was down in the kitchen with a clean apron on and my hair neat and tidy. Can I help you, Aunt Margaret? I said politely. I got up early in case she might need me. My aunt looked very surprised, as I was usually very late in the morning. Thank you, Ruth, she answered pleasantly, holding her surprise. You can lay the table for me. I shall be very glad. Everything went smoothly, and Philip and I ate breakfast very fast and sat impatiently while Aunt Margaret and Uncle Peter slowly sipped their second cups of coffee, discussing the days ahead. Then Uncle Peter went off to work, and Aunt Margaret turned to us. And what plans have you two made, she asked. Philip had the answer already. As soon as we've done our holiday jobs, we're going to get wood in in the cowlays, Aunt Margaret, and he replied in his sweetest voice. Very well, my aunt answered, sounding a bit doubtful. But you must remember I need your help in the mornings. Ruth is old enough to help in the house now, and she can start with wiping and doing the lounge, and then we'll see. I could be quick when I liked, and I wiped up the breakfast things in a very short time. And then, without saying anything more to my aunt, I seized the broom and the duster and headed for the lounge. I flicked the dust off in the shelves at high speed, and I pushed the broom wildly around the edges of the room and then lifted up the carpet and swept the pile of dust under it, as I couldn't find the dustpan. Then I tiptoed back to the kitchen, put the broom and duster back into the cupboard, and ran out of the front door like a streak of lightning. Out and free on an April morning, with the sun shining and the birds singing and the lambs bleeding, I tore around the back and pounced upon Philip all unexpectedly, nearly knocking him over. But he was quite used to me by now, so I wasn't really alarmed. Finished already, he inquired, rather surprised. Yes, haven't you? No, he answered. I've got to chop these sticks into kindling wood, and it'll take ages. Oh, I cried. We can't wait. You've made quite enough of those silly bundles. No one will know that we haven't chopped them all up if they can't see the rest. Quick, give me those sticks to me. 
Before Philip could say anything, I had thrown the rest of the sticks into the ditch and was kicking dead leaves over them. Just think, I shouted, jumping up and down, how quickly we shall find them when we sent we are sent to get more. And with a final leap, I was away across the orchard and out through the gap in the back hedge like a young rabbit with Philip at my heels. No one else knew about our gap in the hedge. It was our own special way right away. Aunt Margaret would see the gate from the kitchen window, and sometimes we didn't want anyone to know about our comings and goings. So we'd found a gap behind the hen house that was invisible to any to anyone else because it was covered by overhanging branches, which we brushed aside. It led into another meadow, which led to the road, and in turn led to our dear woods. Once in the road, I danced and shouted like a young mad thing. It was sheer joy to be alive on such a morning. And Philip followed more quietly, his eyes fixed on the hedges now and then stopping to listen or to watch. I did not wait for him. I felt as if spring had gotten into my feet, and I think I scared away most of the birds because Philip came anywhere near them. I jumped over the gate that led through the meadow and stood still for a moment, watching the mother sheep with her joyful long-legged lambs leaping like me among the daisies. As I watched, one of the lambs with a smudged nose and a black sock suddenly saw me and came rushing towards me, giving little bleats of welcome. I bent down and held out my arms, and he ran straight into them, starting to lick my, licking my face with his eager, warm tongue. Philip, I cried, look what's happening. And Philip was beside me by this time, and together we knelt in the grass, grass while the little lamb prodded us, licked us, and leapt from one lap to another. And as we played, an old shepherd came and leaned over the gate, smiling at us. That's the little orphan, he explained. She's bottle-fed and he's not afraid of anyone. The other sheep pushed him away, so off he goes on his own. He's always in trouble, the little rascal. The lamb at this moment leaped from my knee and ran to the gate, and the old man stooped and picked it up. He knows my voice all right, don't he? He remarked smiling. Then, tucking it inside his coat, he turned away towards the farm. That's a new shepherd, I said to Philip. I've never seen him before. I have, said, answered Philip. He's over from Cradley, from the lambing season. Come on, Ruth, we're wasting time. He jumped up and we ran across the open meadow with the wind blowing our, my pleats out beside behind me. Then over a stile and we were standing in our woods. Tomorrow we'll start with chapter three and it's called The Wigwam. I'll see you tomorrow.